0: You are listening to Pandora's Box Radio with Kalia LaRoche. For more information about my products and services, counseling, coaching, hypnotherapy, books, and audios, please visit narcissismfree.com or pathbacktoself.com. Hello, and welcome to Pandora's Box. This is Kalia. And today, the topic of our podcast is maybe I'm not so codependent. If you've been listening to my podcast, you will know that I've recently decided to work the 12-step program for codependency. The deeper I go into the program, I find myself doing my best to be honest to the point where I may actually be looking for things in myself that are no longer there. The 12-step program is a program of honesty. We have to look at ourselves with a fine-tooth comb, and this is the only way we will change any self-destructive behavior that we have. We need to be willing to see what is there under the surface of our awareness, and we need to be willing to do things differently. When one works the 12 steps for codependency, We need to be willing to use the definitions of codependency as described in the CODA materials that you would find at codacoda.org. Not just the description themselves, but look closely at the behaviors exhibited by codependents. If you've been in recovery from narcissistic abuse, you'll notice that there are many descriptions for codependency. People who have made their mark in the field of narcissistic abuse, such as Ross Rosenberg and Dr. Romany, have different ways of describing codependence. Rosenberg's work is very much centered around recovery from codependency, which he calls self-love deficit disorder. He tells us that codependents are on one end of the spectrum where narcissists are on the opposite end. One is either polarized to the narcissistic side of things, which he describes as a plus three, plus four, or plus five, as being more malignantly narcissistic, where a minus three, minus four, and minus five are more severely codependent. The more one polarizes in one direction, the more pathological their disorder is, and the more likely that the relationship is to work. For example, if one is a plus five in malignant narcissism and the other is a minus five in codependency, the two are so unhealthy that they may easily remain in that unhealthy and toxic dynamic for years, maybe even a lifetime. But if there is a plus four in narcissism and a minus two in codependency, it isn't likely going to last because the codependent is much healthier and more likely to take care of herself, love herself, and have healthy boundaries, which will not work with a narcissist. I do love Rosenberg's work and can really relate to it, although it may not be foolproof like any body of work. For example, in his philosophy, two narcissists wouldn't be able to work together. Yet we know there are many circumstances where both partners appear to be very narcissistic and they just feed each other's ego and offer supply to each other. There are also situations where someone who is healthier but still has some codependent traits may fall for the seduction of the narcissist, but then leave shortly after the narcissist begins to reveal himself or herself. In a case like this, The attraction is still there, but the ability to tolerate abuse is not. So a mildly codependent person can still fall in love with and have a relationship with a more malignant narcissist, but the longevity is not likely to be there. I recently watched a video from Dr. Romani talking about if a narcissist can also be a codependent, and she says yes. Well, if you use Ross Rosenberg's description of codependency as self-love deficit, it would actually still make sense that most narcissists have the same core wounds as the codependent. They are also self-love deficit, but they compensate by inflating their sense of self and taking a superior stance against others. But Ramani refers to the actual dependency piece when talking about narcissism and codependency. It's clear that narcissists are dependent on a source of supply and may even become obsessed with a source or try to please a source in the way they once tried to please a parent in order to get their attention and approval. So in a case like this, the narcissist becomes the people pleaser and caretaker for a partner or a parent in order to hold on to supply. Makes sense. But now the line begins to get pretty blurry and it may be difficult to understand where codependency ends and narcissism begins or vice versa. Especially when codependents often caretake people, people please and enable in order to hold on to their relationships. Ramani reminds us that codependency isn't actually a diagnosis, so here is the difference. It is more in the addictions family, which explains why we have the 12-step program for healing codependency. In the addictions model, codependency is a disease, not a disorder. Narcissistic personality disorder, on the other hand, is a diagnosis of a personality disorder. Although narcissists may also have addictions, NPD is a personality disorder and not an addiction. So a narcissist can also be an addict or a codependent. When I look at the character traits or defects of character in the 12-step recovery workbook for codependency, I notice a lot of narcissistic traits as well, such as Lack of empathy for the feelings and needs of others. Label others with their negative traits. Express negativity or aggression in indirect and passive ways. Seek recognition and praise to overcome feeling less than. Perceive themselves as superior to others. Make decisions without regard to consequences. Attempt to convince others what to think, do, or feel. Become resentful when others decline their help or reject their advice. Lavish gifts and favors on those they want to influence. Demand their needs be met by others. Use charm and charisma to convince others of their capacity to be caring and compassionate. Use blame and shame to exploit others emotionally. Refuse to cooperate, compromise, or negotiate. Act in ways that invite others to reject, shame, or express anger towards them. Judge harshly what others think, say, or do. Avoid emotional, physical, or sexual intimacy as a way to maintain distance. Pull people towards them, but when others get close, push them away. Of course, there are a lot more descriptions of behaviors codependents do that I wouldn't consider to be narcissistic, but the ones I just named are often found in the narcissist as well as the more unhealed codependent. Although I am really trying to be honest with myself as I go through these descriptions while working, step four, I find myself possibly looking for things in myself that just aren't there. I find myself saying, well, maybe I did that at one time, but I'm having difficulty seeing where I'm doing this now. I don't relate to most of the descriptions that I just named. Doing a fearless and moral inventory of one's character defects can be really challenging because we all have blind spots that prevent us from seeing ourselves accurately. We need to have a willingness to look at ourselves honestly, but part of our self-honesty also involves looking at where we have already healed and where we're not so codependent. We need to be able to see where we've grown or where we actually are healthy in our behavior some things just aren't going to resonate as being true for us. We may answer some questions with, I just don't do this anymore, or I never did do this. And this is part of the fearless and searching moral inventory. This process also helps us to show us how well we've actually we actually know ourselves and when we're doing a fearless and searching moral inventory we're not just looking for our negative codependent traits but we're looking at our healthy traits so we're really getting to know where we still need to grow and what we're already doing great or what's already healthy about us the description of codependent traits in the CODA recovery materials may be very different than the descriptions by some doctors, psychologists, and practitioners in the healing field. I have always seen codependency as a focus outside of oneself onto others in an attempt to feel in control and get their needs met. I've seen the primary codependent traits to be in the realm of people-pleasing, weak boundaries, lack of direct communication, inability to stand up for oneself, getting themselves into relationships where they feel victimized, having difficulty getting out of toxic or abusive situations, and allowing oneself to be controlled by their fears of abandonment, rejection, and loss. In my experience, Codependents typically place themselves in an inferior rather than superior position. They take the blame more than they blame others. They tend to be scapegoated by the people who are supposed to love them. They often have high levels of empathy towards others, which is one reason they stay in toxic and abusive relationship dynamics. And they have low levels of self-worth, which also keep them playing small in their relationships. Now, I can relate to all of this as things I used to do or things that I'm still doing on some level, but I can't relate to the more narcissistic descriptions of codependency, which show us that codependency, according to the 12-step recovery program, has a very wide range of characteristics that include narcissistic characteristics. Now, In our recovery process, we find there are so many character defects of codependency that do not apply to everyone. This is why we look closely at which ones we feel do apply to us. We need to look closely at ourselves and be honest with ourselves to the best of our ability. But still, not all the descriptions will apply to any one person. For example, if you are someone who has high levels of empathy, you won't relate to not having empathy for others. If you tend to feel inferior to others, you won't relate to feeling superior to others. Although in my experience, we can do both at times. All of us can. In my experience working the 12 steps so far... I'm seeing where I am still codependent, but I'm also seeing where I'm not codependent. And this shines a light on where I am healthy and whole. I once had a therapist who told me we all have healthy functional aspects of our personality and we have unhealthy poor functioning aspects. This can be true for the codependent, the narcissist, or the addict. It can be true of anyone. So it's important when doing a personal inventory to look at where we are healthy and functional as well as where we still need to grow. The most important things to look at in ourselves is what is really getting in our way of having healthy functional relationships with others. You may be someone who feels you have some relationships in your life that are healthy and some that are not You may have relationships that are sustainable and some that are not. You may have relationships where you feel really good about yourself and healthy in your functioning and some where you feel less than or unworthy. If our relationships are all holding up a mirror to us, it's important to look at how some relationships hold up a completely different mirror than others. For example, a relationship with a friend who's really kind and loving towards you will hold up a different mirror than a relationship with a narcissist who is continually judging you and finding fault with you. You may feel that you're enough with that friend who is kind and loving, but never feel like you're enough with a narcissist. Where is the codependency in this? Well, the healthier we become, the less we allow the judgments and the opinions of others to determine how we feel about ourselves. But we also will tend to avoid people who are judgmental, accusational, and cruel. The healthier we become, the more we clear out the toxicity in our lives. The healthier we become, the less we will identify with the negative projections of others. We learn not to take them personally, and we recognize them as projections. In my own recovery process, I'm looking at why my most intimate relationships tend to be toxic or narcissistic. What is it about me that is attracting these people into my reality? What are the codependent traits in me that invite the toxicity in? I've noticed in my last situation how my home felt loving and peaceful, and he seemed to really enjoy my home environment because he felt the love. But after the relationship was underway, five months or so in, he began commenting on how I have changed and my home was no longer that loving place it was in the beginning. I told him that I was the same person, but I felt he was projecting his own dark feelings into my environment. After he left my life, it rapidly returned to a peaceful and loving environment. I even invited someone to live with me as a housemate, and we both now enjoy the relaxing and peaceful environment of my home. But I was very careful to invite a housemate who I'd known for a while and who I felt had a loving and peaceful energy. It was important to me to make different choices for myself and my own well-being, so I actually chose to have a roommate to learn how to live with somebody in a healthy way that I felt was a healthy person. When I hold myself up to Ross Rosenberg's scale of codependency from a minus 5 to a minus 1, I resonate mostly with a minus 2. But I can see how in my 20s and 30s, I was closer to maybe a minus four. I still didn't remain in toxic relationships for long. I could recognize they weren't good for me, and so I got out. But some of my coping mechanisms in the toxic relationships showed me how I once used to cope in my family of origin. My greatest coping mechanism was to withdraw and isolate rather than confront and fight. I didn't like conflict. I always wanted that peace. If I was angry or disappointed, I would, I would withdraw and isolate. This coping mechanism has remained with me throughout my adult life. I still don't want the conflict. So when there was conflict and I realized it was futile to resolve it with the person I was with, I'd just retreat into my own space and be in the silence. I would be open to having a discussion once I had the opportunity to process through my feelings, but sometimes i just sweep the issues under the rug because it seemed like the only way I could have peace. The issue is when we sweep issues under the rug, we build up resentment. Resentment and anger can grow from unresolved issues. Yet in relationships with people who are narcissistic, we can't resolve issues because the narcissist needs us to take all the responsibility for the issues in the relationship. Our only real choices are to minimize and sweep under the rug or leave the relationship. I remember in one of my narcissistic relationships, I mustered up the courage to tell my narcissistic boyfriend how I was feeling. Oh my goodness. I told him I didn't feel my needs were being met in the relationship. And i had hoped he would care about this. This is before I knew about narcissism or knew that he was narcissistic. I had hoped after all that mustering up of courage to communicate how I felt, which was a real big breakthrough for me. This was in my 30s, that he would be interested in what needs I had that weren't being met. But his response was a question. What are you Going to do about it. He was basically asking me if I was going to leave because he wasn't going to take any responsibility for my needs being met in the relationship. Now, now that I have some distance on it, I can understand that it really wasn't his responsibility to meet my needs, it was mine. Still, I had hoped he would have cared enough to ask me what the problem was. There was never a conversation about this because he shut me down. I stayed another year or two after that. I came to realize that there were needs such as a need to feel respected, loved, cared about, heard, seen, and valued that weren't being met because as a narcissist, he just couldn't offer these things to me. My only choice was to leave or to accept things the way they were which felt really soul-destroying to me. I now recognize that my attempting to get these needs met by a person incapable of meeting them was a codependent trait. But it also went back to my family of origin where I didn't feel seen, heard, respected, or valued. I was still trying to get people who couldn't see me to see me. So I was still choosing people who didn't see me and attempting to get my need-to-be-seen met, which is a losing battle. We as codependents fight a lot of losing battles. We continue to try and heal our wounds of the past by finding the people who activate our core wounds and seek to find healing and resolution in these situations. If we do find someone who can see us, hear us, value us, and truly love us, we're often just not that interested. As codependents, we often don't know how to have a relationship with someone who doesn't need us. The neediness is seductive in some way because it activates our caretaker, which gives us a sense of value. It activates our fixer, our healer, and it appeases our fear of abandonment and rejection. We need to learn how to have that healthy relationship by getting involved with people who are healthier. Now, nobody's perfect. Everybody has unhealed parts to them, but there are still a lot of people out there capable of loving and caring. They simply aren't the ones who activate our need to be needed. We may have interpreted the need to be needed as the only way we could survive in childhood. If we could find the ways we were valued, such as what we could do for our parents or friends, we may have found acceptance and approval. But we learned that we had to perform in some way to get that acceptance and approval. It wasn't freely given. This longing for acceptance and approval was interpreted as love. So we never truly understood the concept of being loved for exactly who we are without having to do all the dance steps. I always love narcissists because they were the perfect people to mimic my family of origin issues. The initial love bombing felt so amazing to someone who never really felt seen or valued. Suddenly there was this person who seemed to believe That I was the most amazing person on earth. And what a compensation that is to feeling like the invisible child who never felt seen, heard, or valued. I sucked that false love up like a sponge. I craved that attention and would have done just about anything to hold on to it. But as you know, narcissistic attention quickly goes bad. It quickly turns into negative attention. As much as I felt valued in the beginning, I felt devalued in the end. Suddenly, the you are my everything turns into you are nothing. It's natural in such situations that our first response is to try and convince that narcissistic person that we really are that good person they saw in the beginning, kind of like me in my home, I was trying to convince that person that I haven't changed, I'm still a good person, I still have love in my heart, I still have a loving home. What we don't understand is that it really isn't about us. The narcissist projects his own fantasies of ideal love onto us and when we fail to be their ideal person, Selflessly tending to their wants, needs, and desires, they project their inner demons onto us. So it was never about us. It was always about them and their projections. Perhaps this is the real issue that we need to heal, is to realize that it wasn't about us in childhood either. It was about the toxic shame in a parent or caregiver We were never seen because the rejecting parent was projecting some part of themselves onto us. We didn't get our sense of self from parental mirroring. We got a lack of sense of self. We never really learned who we were because we never saw this mirrored back to us. We saw ourselves as valuable only in what we could do to please others— We weren't valuable for being who we were. The most important thing I've learned in my life is that I'm valuable as I am and I don't have to jump through hoops to please others, to be what they want me to be, to do what they want me to do, and achieve some state of perfection in order to be loved. I'm lovable as I am. And if someone can't see this, then they don't need to be in my life. I have to make healthy choices and invite only the people into my life who value me as I am. And I need to also invite people into my life who I can accept them as they are, not people I feel that I need to fix, heal, change, or rehabilitate. I've also learned that the more I can accept myself as I am, the more I can accept others as they are. My judgment of others often stems from self-judgment. Also, others' judgment of me triggers me because of my own self-judgment. So healing self-judgment is a game-changer. Healing core shame is also a game-changer. These feelings that we are inadequate, inferior, not enough, and unworthy of love keep us attracting mirrors who reflect these feelings back to us. Perhaps the beauty is that we have this powerful opportunity to learn to stand up for ourselves and our own worth and value. We learn to say no to the projection of shame from others who are unable to see those projections as coming from within themselves. It never feels good to feel so unloved by those that we love so much. It's natural for codependents to try to get love where love is not. It's unnatural for us to seek love where love is. It feels unnatural sometimes, especially in intimate relationships. The real work is not to learn to love ourselves when we feel hated by those we love the most is to accept love from those who love us the most, who really love us. We need to learn to choose the people we invite into our lives by how they consistently show up for us. And we need to look at our own ability to be consistent with them. If we're pushing away those who love us the most and instead seeking attention and approval in people who can't see us, value us, or love us, We're not moving up the ladder of recovery. We're keeping ourselves stuck in a cycle. I remind you that one of the 12 promises of codependent recovery is that we learn to trust people who are trustworthy. Wow, imagine that. This is a game changer. Put our trust in those who deserve our trust and give our love to those who deserve our love. Perhaps my own CODA recovery process is showing me not just where I have yet to heal, but how far I've come. Perhaps I'm learning how I might not be so codependent after all. I still have some traits that are getting in my way, but I have had so much healing and recovery in my life already and noticing how far we've come, what parts of us are healthy, and where we still need to grow is the true recovery process. So I hope you found this episode helpful. If you'd like more information on my work with narcissistic abuse and self-love, please go to narcissismfree.com or pathbacktoself.com. I want to thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next podcast.